aren't being taught what a lot of these words mean. What is a pandemic? What is coronavirus? What does that mean? And what is COVID? Are they the same? Are they different? How do I protect myself? Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. I want to start with taking a step back and thinking about 2020, right? These days, 2020 has developed a new meaning for most people around the world. I see so many posts on social media about how difficult 2020 is and how every month there's something negative that someone has to face based on <laughs> what's been going on this year. But I want you to remember that this wasn't the first time you've had a connection with 2020. Okay, so I remember when I was in college, I was sitting in my chemistry <laughs> seats because I was a chemistry major. And I remember looking at the board and suddenly it was blurry. I couldn't see it as well as I could have before. At that moment, I realized I no longer had 2020 vision, but I didn't freak out. I just thought, okay, 2020 vision is going to be something different for me now. So what does that look like for me? Am I going to have to get glasses now? Am I going to wear contacts? How is 2020 going to look for me? My father is legally blind, so he'll never have quote unquote 2020 vision. So for him, <laughs> having 2020 vision or seeing well looks like reading Braille and speaking super loudly to someone who's right in front of him, which is quite hilarious when we're at a restaurant. So I want you to remember that 2020, you've always had a relationship with it. And although there are different new experiences that are coming your way, you don't have to let them shift your perspective and shift your connection with this word and with this concept. So I see people saying, yeah, lockdown has been very productive for me and 2020 has been great for me. And so I wanted to bring this to you because for our children, there will be a lot of learning and unlearning and us getting together with them and having full on conversations about what the world looks like and what meanings they will take on. And these conversations that you have with your kids when they're getting ready to go to school as parents and in your classrooms as teachers are gonna be so powerful because they're gonna be around kids who have completely different beliefs and mixed messaging. So having that conversation that you don't have to worry because you've always had a connection with 2020. We've been talking about 2020 beyond, well before the actual year occurred. Another word that has brought on a lot of different meanings for so many of us is this concept of pandemic and also unprecedented. Who's heard the word unprecedented so many times now? Tell me in a chat box. And this is unprecedented. What are we going to do? Or, oh my goodness, this is so difficult. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented has been used like it's this monstrous word. But you've dealt with unprecedented things before, right? You've bounced back from unprecedented, right? How about that unprecedented financial hardship you've dealt with? Or that unprecedented heartbreak you've dealt with? Tell me in the comments some things that you have bounced back from that were unprecedented for you. 
you know, and so you don't need to have that fear because you've done difficult things, right? And you've been faced with new obstacles and overcome them before. Exactly. I see that unprecedented divorce, separation, burnout, losing my husband, Hurricane Katrina, so many things. You've done difficult things, right? And so I just want us to detach from some of that fear that has been clouding a lot of words and phrases that we've already had relationships with, right? Because it's so important when we're going to look at new concepts and new ideas, right? So what I want to bring forth before we dive in is that I'm going to speak to you in a very short amount of time with a lot of information as both parents and educators together. Okay, I'm going to talk about things that may be related to older kids, and you may have younger kids, but I want you to have your 2020 vision of, okay, what does this look like for me, right? Remember me in college having blurry vision, thinking, okay, what does 2020 vision look like for me? Am I going to wear glasses? I'm going to get contacts. I know it's going to be something. I'm not going to sit here. So I may have a slide or a conversation that's talking about kids and you may not have kids now, but you may be a teacher who's starting your very first year and you may look at that and say, oh, well, I don't really see how this will work. You know, that negative self-talk. 2020 vision it. What does this look like for me? So as we go through the slides, there will be times when I say, I want you to 2020 that. Okay. And so I want you to think, okay, what could this look like for me? All right, so we're gonna start with some of the things that I noticed. And one of the things that I noticed during both H1N1 in South Korea and during the MERS pandemic, and one thing that I wanna highlight is during the first pandemic that I experienced, it was actually my very first year as a teacher. And so <laughs> I learned how to connect and communicate by teaching through a pandemic. And so when the virus first began, there were conversations that we had just like many of you are having. Should we attend school? Should we have a schedule where some students come during the morning, some students come in the evening, or some students learn remotely? And we tried so many things. But I'm going to focus on what I felt had the deepest impact with the students so that we can fit as much power in this short amount of time. So one of the things that I noticed is that students did not want to wear masks. They were difficult. Masks really made the teaching difficult because they needed to see my mouth, both younger and older students. And some of them would cry. They would say, you know, we can't see your smile. And I realized that the students being able to see this happiness and read my emotions was so important. Even the older kids, you know, when they gave an answer in class, sometimes they would say, the answer is this. And they look for your smile. They look for your, your expression before they speak with confidence. And so when they aren't able to do that, that induces a lot of fear. So one of the things that I had to do was learn how to smile, <laughs> smile in my voice, smile in my tone, to kind of sing in order to mask frustration. If I said something over and over and over again, I would kind of sing it the next time so that students wouldn't feel angry or upset or feel like I was angry or upset because I was repeating something. One thing that I did notice though, that although they didn't want to wear a mask, one thing that they did love were these face shields. And so if you have younger kids, 
The face shields do not keep them from touching their mouths, but they do shield their faces and keep them from putting their hands in their eyes and things like that. And so I noticed that the face shields, they would wear them at home, they would wear them all day. And so if you do have younger kids and you're worried about them wearing masks or not having anything to protect their faces, I recommend this as an option. Okay, the next thing that I noticed was that the students arrived feeling helpless rather than empowered. And this is why I wanted to begin today talking about 2020 vision and reframing some of those words and phrases that we've been hearing is because kids actually aren't being taught what a lot of these words mean. What is a pandemic? What is coronavirus? What does that mean? And what is COVID? Are they the same? Are they different? How do I protect myself? You know, and so really as a parent and as educators, giving that knowledge, giving that information, and if you're in a classroom, starting from ground zero and having open discussions about what that means in your classroom is really going to help to empower your students and help them to feel safe. A lot of times, especially for younger children, we tend to gloss over details because we're afraid that it's too much information. But knowledge gives them the opportunity to ask questions in their way and then for you to answer those questions that may worry them. So I would definitely dive into giving them as much knowledge as you can and giving them knowledge through a lens of love and not through a lens of fear. And so a lens of love versus a lens of fear would look like instead of saying, if you do not wear your mask, this is what's gonna happen, this is what happens when we wear a mask. Do you see how that's different? This is what happens when we do this. This is who we help when we do this. This is how we feel better when we eat these things. And so that's a completely different lens and it removes a lot of weight and negativity. Okay, another important factor is the empowerment, giving kids a purpose, which is so important. So one of the things that I did in my classroom and that the parents and I did together during both pandemics was providing the students with a purpose, giving them a mission, giving them something to do. So I made all of my students health ambassadors and the parents and I created a pact <laughs> where we worked together to make sure what was going on in school was also happening at home. And so as health ambassadors, my students would talk about at lunchtime what food items were beneficial to their health and helping them to be stronger and healthy. And so the parents would do this at home as well to have these conversations during breakfast and lunch. So this helps them to focus on also knowing that when you're eating, when you're eating healthy foods, when you're eating vegetables and fruits, you're giving your body those good soldiers that's going to help your body to fight off negative things, you know, such as a virus. Another thing that we did was I gave my students who tests in the classroom. So there was someone who made sure that there was hand sanitizer always there. There was someone who always made sure that we had healthy food and talked about the healthy food. There was someone who made sure that someone was cleaning the desk. You know, I just gave them different tools so that they felt like they were a part of the experience and also a part of our classroom culture. And the reason why this also helped is because there are times that parents are going to send their kids, unfortunately, to school sick. 
And I realized by giving my students these roles and this empowerment, they felt like it was their duty to tell me everything. So sometimes they would show up and they would say, teacher, I coughed two times and my mom said it was okay, but what do you think? You know, and we would have this open dialogue about what was going on. And so helping them to feel like they were a part of the solution and that, you know, in our classroom, in our community, our little bubble, we were strong and we were doing something to support one another really helped our class. And this middle photo here, you'll notice that there's a sheet, it says spelling practice. And what I did was I took different writing boards and I laminated them and I gave my students markers and they could erase with tissue or sponges. And so this just gave them the opportunity to write and play board games without leaving their seats. So in the beginning, there were times when it wasn't necessarily safe for them to run to the board all of the time. So I made sure that everyone had their own personalized items that they can write on or sticker boards or different things like that, that could keep them in their seats, but also engaged. Their hands always had something to touch and always had something to play with. So they didn't feel like they were stuck in one position. In the third picture, you'll notice there's one of my lovely students who looks like he's playing with a doll. Actually, this became part of the health curriculum that I brought into our class just a bit every morning. And what I would do was, was to teach them to check for fevers and, <laughs> and to practice different health-related <laughs> checkups on the dolls so that they would feel like little mini doctors. So this helped them to feel like they were, again, health ambassadors and to also create conversations that are related to health. So one of the things that's really important, whenever we have something, not only that's a pandemic, but anything that's a new situation is to think about what experiential learning we can gather from that situation. For me, something like this that is health related and science related, we have a beautiful opportunity to weave health and science into every aspect of our classroom culture and to make it fun. You know, even with math, you can talk about <laughs> math when you're discussing, you know, fever and numbers and things like that and make it fun and engaging instead of talking about it solely from a place of fear. Okay, so empowerment and knowledge and purpose for older kids and teens. So this is for some of you who may say, okay, well, that's a big young. What about for the older kids? So one thing that we need to talk about during this pandemic that often hasn't been discussed is that there are a lot of people who are losing their lives during this pandemic. And there is a lot of grief. And there needs to be a space for students, especially the older ones, to acknowledge this grief and to have a space to grieve. So one of the things that you can do is have a grief box that you keep in the classroom and that you check on a regular basis. So one of the things about teens, if you work with teens or if you have teens, is oftentimes reaching out to you, maybe just a sheet of paper with their name on it that says hi. That's it. And so if you don't regularly work with teens or deal with them on this level, it's easy to dismiss this as a prank or a joke. But I do want to push anyone to realize that a high one of the times is one of the biggest calls for help ever. 
a lot of the times when I have teens who reach out to me who have dealt with sexual assault, they have sent me a text message or a message on social media and it just said hi. You know, and so the way that I engage them is I would say hi back. And then I would tell them about just something I dealt with during that day. Oh my goodness, today was a difficult one for me. This is an obstacle that I had today. How about you? Is everything really okay? You know, and usually the answer would say would be, well, not not really. You know, but you have to put some of your skin in the game. You have to put some vulnerability in to get some back. And so I would really encourage any educator now who's preparing to be in a classroom or to teach during this time to acknowledge that there needs to be some space for grief and for students to talk about loss of loved ones. You also need a space to discuss and unpack beliefs. Now, a lot of the teens and older kids are in homes where they don't necessarily believe the same things that their families do. Some of them have families who they feel are conspiracy theorists, or some of their families may say, actually, we don't care about wearing masks, where in your environment you do. And so really giving them an opportunity to talk through that and to question things in a safe environment. One of the things that I always open my classroom with every single day with the older students is that you get a blank slate every day. You get a redo. So if you're upset, if you have a bad day today, tomorrow, we get to start all over. We're not going to say, oh, you know, hope you're not feeling the same way you were feeling yesterday. No, we're going to meet you again anew. And so this gives them the opportunity to kind of feel okay with uncovering some things that they may not feel safe speaking about in environments such as school environments. The third is to establish peer support. Peer support is one of the most powerful things that you can establish as an educator because the students will see things in one another that you may not necessarily notice. So what peer support may look like would be establishing different partners or groups, teams who get to check in on one another right before the class. Or if you're a parent, asking your team who their peer support is. Who's supporting you? You know, who who do you go to for support? What do you go to them for? Who can come to you for support so that they can start discussing those things? If you have peer support groups, you want to let them know how to support one another. One of the things teens often tell me is that people assume that they know how to communicate with one another, but they really don't. You know, so I have them to establish their core values in their groups. Talk about what is important to you. What's important for friends to do? How do you need friends to support you? Are you the friend who needs nudges every day? Or are you the friend who, when you aren't feeling so so happy or excited, need a bit of space? And for them to write those and keep those sort of bylaws or core beliefs within their peer groups. Okay, so one of the most important realization that I had while teaching through a pandemic was that there was a deep need for connection. So this is where we're going to get really chatty. I'm going to need you to chat and ask questions and get your screenshots. I made this very informative and I put a lot of information on the slide so that you can take as many screenshots as possible and save for later because I'm giving you real live examples. So one of the most painful experiences that I had while teaching during a pandemic was 
having students cry and not being able to hug them, not being able to touch them, you know, especially the younger ones. That during the first pandemic was something that really kicked me into gear into trying to figure out all of the ways that I could establish powerful connections even without touch. And so that became my mission. And here I'm going to show you the ways that were the most effective. Okay, so the first one I talked about a bit before was remembering your tone, especially in the beginning, especially that first week. For parents, this is very powerful at home as well. So I said, you know, if you're repeating yourself over and over, you know, sing it the next time. Parents, <laughs> there often are times when we repeat something, repeat something. When we get to that third or fourth time, there's that, ah, you know, and then you sing it. <laughs> you know, where's the box? Where's the box? Where is the box? <laughs> it definitely makes a difference. In the classroom, doing that, especially when you're wearing a mask, because any shift that could possibly be connected to as anger or frustration is heightened tenfold to students when they can't see your actual expression. Also, I highly recommend when you're in the classroom and you're teaching through a pandemic is to say their names as often as possible. You know, while they're working, let them know, wow, Julia, I see you. You're doing a great job. Oh, oh my goodness, Heather, I love your hat today. You know, just so that they can hear themselves being acknowledged. I also love to highlight their powerful traits, just constantly using my voice and my words to connect with them over and over and over foster connections with inanimate objects. So a lot of parents, you may notice that your kids have difficulty sleeping, right? Night terrors become very common during these types of situations, especially when we talk about the fear of returning to school. You know, our kids can hear us having these conversations. Here's a stone that I brought into class. If you fear passing a stone around, one of the things that I did in the very beginning was I put it in a Ziploc bag, a clear bag where people could see it. And so what we did was we held it and we charged our love and kindness. Some of the kids spoke into the stone. And then after that, every three days, a student had an opportunity to take the stone home and to put it under their pillows while they slept. The parents would often send me photos of their kids sleeping with these stones. And they would just say, oh my goodness, my child, you know, has never went to sleep this quickly. You know, this has really helped. And the students would tell me, I don't know if you can notice, but right in the middle of the stone, there's this little red streak. And the students would tell me that they felt like the red was their nightmares being pulled away and that they really believed the stone was just filled with good things. So really using inanimate objects to kind of pass along this connection for you helps. I also transferred hugs with dolls and toys. So this is a doll that I actually use to also teach cross-cultural <laughs> connections because I named the doll Ebony. Ebony is the name of my sister, is a very popular name in Black culture. And the students were allowed to take Ebony home every, I think it was every weekend. I ended up buying another Ebony and passing two Ebony's along. And what I would do is when Ebony was brought back, I would wash Ebony and then dry her in very high heat. Another thing that I did was, which we'll talk about later, was that I asked the parents to send their own dolls or stuffed animals to school with them. And this was so powerful because sometimes 
when those times came and they were upset, you know, and I couldn't hug them, I would say, hug your doll, hug your doll. And they would hug their doll. And I would say, I gave your doll the biggest hug for me. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? And they would say, yes, I can feel it. I can feel it. And so we would pass that love between one another through the dolls. Someone asked, I'm going to look at one of the questions, how do you teach children to cope with social distance? Is there a way to reduce social consequences of this social distancing? So the way that we reduce social distancing was really by creating those health ambassadors and having the conversation in the beginning. The students made it their mission. It was our mission to do this. We had a mission as a collective to be healthy and happy at the end of it. And so with that mission, we wrote down what are the components? How can we achieve this mission of being happy and healthy at the end of it? And being a part was a part of it. No touching was a part of it, you know? So really highlighting those and allowing the students to show they are capable of being so much stronger leaders than we give them credit for. Okay, so increasing non-physical connection. These became gold for me, the air hug. <laughs> as soon as they walk in, as soon as the students walked in every day, I was near the door and I would have the air hug, you know? But I would sit in a chair because intuitively they would want to run into my arms, you know? So I would have the air hug, oh, you know? And they would, oh, you know? And just making that a part of our culture, making that a part of our routine. Also the self-hug, you know? I would read their feedback and I would see sometimes some of them would want a hug. So I would say, okay, everyone in the class, Jamie needs a hug. Let's all hug ourselves and give him our hug power. And we would say, do you feel it? And the kids would say, do you feel it? If you notice these concepts, they're teaching them to be resilient, right? They're teaching them self-love as well. And they're also teaching them their own emotional ways of social emotional skills. So when kids are older, we teach them to meditate. It's much easier to learn how to do that when you learn how to deal with your own emotions and, you know, increase your own happiness through something like this. So these are very powerful skills. The worry doll is something that I mentioned earlier. And the worry dolls were basically dolls that I asked the parents to send to school with them. So if there's something that your child loves that you think could go to school with them, this could be very helpful. The air high five. So this is one of my favorite. If you're a teacher, <laughs> it looks really silly. It works with teens as well. Teens love it. Kids love it. And so one of the things that I did when students did a great job is I would pull my hand back. Whoa! You know, and then they went, Whoa! you know, and that would be our new high fives. Completely different from this one. But with this, you get that physical touch. So with this kind of over-exaggerated air high five, they get the illusion of physical touch without actually having that touch. Also personalized songs. So what I would do is every week I would give a new student a song and it would just be three lines and we would learn all of the songs. And so actually it was every day, every day until we, everyone had a song and it would be something simple like I see Kadi is here. So it'd be Kadi is a girl, Kadi is a girl, Kadi is a good, good girl, something like that, you know, and then everyone would sing it. And then we go to the next one, you know, and then at the end, everyone had a song and it was something that the parents mentioned a lot. Next is the breathing crystal. And so I would bring this crystal in. And the thing about masks is that they get really hot. And it becomes very frustrating when the students cannot breathe the way that they need to. 
And so I brought this breathing crystal in so that they could go into a room by themselves or if you don't have a full room in your school uh, corner and they would hold the crystal and then they would just practice deep breathing. Okay, so I'm gonna go to one more. That went super fast and then I'm going to ask for questions, all right? So another thing that I did was the bedtime audio, super beautiful. I had all of the parents in a chat and parents, this is something that you can do yourselves as well. And I would read bedtime stories and I would put the students' names at the end of all of the bedtime stories and then switch them around so that everyone had an opportunity to be first. So if it was good night moon, I would say good night to all of the students at the end and just drop it in the chat and the students would listen to it. The parents would say that they kind of heard my voice all day, but it became a way for the students to connect to me and to trust me and for the parents to as well. Embracing teacherhood is basically the pact that I made with parents in the very beginning. And so this is very important for parents and teachers. If you're a parent, dive into creating a pact with your teacher, you know, about ways that you can work together to make this a beautiful experience. What can you do on your end? How can you support them? How can they support you? Because it's really going to take a community to create this beautiful experience for your child. And also, your teacher will know things that you haven't been given full information about yet and vice versa. And so this will also keep everyone on board with, you know, your child's schedules. Okay, so let's dive into some questions. I see our schools have given families the choice of either full distance learning versus two days in person and three days distance. Can you offer your thoughts between the two? You know, that's a very important question. And, you know, it's tough because the thing is with distance learning, everyone is not a virtual teacher, you know, and all classroom teachers are not virtual teachers. And, you know, what happened before with distance learning is that it actually wasn't true virtual learning. It was crisis learning. And so one of the things that I would ask would be, is your school really prepared for distance learning? Do they really know what that is? You know, what the curriculum would be like, how engaging it is. And what are your views about keeping the school virtual for the next school year? How do you balance the pros and cons for the children and families. So that's a bit about what I was speaking before. So I've been a virtual teacher for five years and it's different. You know, virtual teaching is a lot of edutainment. It's a lot of after every lesson, there should be a practical way to implement the learning. It should be experiential. You know, there should be high levels of engagement. That is true virtual learning. And unfortunately, although a lot of teachers are doing their best and a lot of schools are trying to shift over, they're not really equipped to handle virtual learning in the way that it is its best. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? 
your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.